So it's been quite a ride. Uh, it's, in some ways, it's been really slow, uh, and in some ways, it's been really fast. And so, but anyway, my job is to reflect on this morning to just help us reflect on that and to talk about what at what our church life looks like for the next year or so. Um, we stopped doing five-year plans for good reason, <laughs> so we're a little bit about to take a look at the next year, uh, what it looks like for us in the coming year. And then to end my talk, uh, we're going to bring up our new elders and shepherds. These are volunteer leaders that uh, give a lot of time and energy to making sure our church stays healthy. And so we have some new ones coming on this year, and uh, so we're going to haze them. We got some tape and stuff, and uh, no, but we'll have them come up, and then we'll pray uh, for them, and then I'm going to serve them communion, and then they're going to serve you communion, and that's how we're going to end today. Sound good? Excellent. All right, I want to begin, however, with one of my favorite texts uh, from the book of Exodus, and let me just set this up for you. Uh, Exodus retells the story of Egypt, and they're, they're set free. Moses is their leader. Um, and they're, they're freed from slavery. And so the first half of Exodus, the first really 19 chapters, is the story of Israel kind of in between slavery and freedom. Uh, I mean, they're free, but there's still this journey towards becoming God's people. And so the first half of the book is just this play-by-play of their journey through the wilderness. And uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. And freedom, as you know, is um, something we all want. Remember when you were in high school and you just wanted to get out? Nobody? Yeah. Okay, all right, okay, I just make sure it was just me. Uh, but, you know, freedom is that thing that's like, I can't wait to get out of high school, I can't wait to get to college, I can't wait to just be on my own. And then it happens, and within six weeks, you're, you're like, you've never done this before, but you start asking yourself these profound questions, like, man, who's going to do my laundry? Are you with me on this? So freedom isn't always, that's a new, it's a whole adjustment. It really is a disorientation process. And so for the Israelites, granted, going to college from high school is nothing like being freed from slavery, but <laughs> the experience of, we had our whole life wrapped up in these boundaries and rules and, you know, everything was set for us. We just did what we were told to do. We didn't like it, but that's what it was. And then this journey into, hey, you're free. That's a, that's a learning curve. There's a big learning curve there. And so they had grown, needless to say, they had grown somewhat frustrated with freedom. Um, and I love this story. Here we go. Um, where should I begin? They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. That's not the same kind of sin you're thinking of which is between Elam and Sinai. So they're on their way to Sinai, which is where they will receive the law, the commandments. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So it hasn't been long. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, here we go, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, this is what they said to Moses, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. So let me just translate that for you. Moses, what in thee is going on? When we were slaves, we could at least eat well around pots of meat. That just sounds like they went to 
that place up in Buckhead, whatever the place is. What's it called? Yeah, I never say it right. All the snobby people go, you didn't say it right. But I'm like, that's the letter. No, it's different. I know it's the letter, but it doesn't say that. Okay. All right. So that place. And this is what they say next. I love this. You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly. That's how I've felt the last five months. <laughs> I wanted to lead with that to let you know that I have felt that way and have worried that you have said this in your head in some fashion. You have, you have, you have pulled us out of Buckhead to kill this thing, right? That was my fear for four months. And every day when I go home, because I still live by the old building, um, it's still there, and they need to tear it down quickly before some of y'all start the conspiracy theories, right? <laughs> we actually had to go in there the other day, and my son and I went in there. We had to get some old phone equipment out, and man, they turned, they had, everything's been off for four months, so like all the roaches are belly up. It smells really bad. Um, but we did a thing where we were just sitting in the main room, and it was like, wow, this is weird. You know, there's holes in the wall from when me and Kyle and Lindsay threw hammers into them because <laughs> we were leaving, and we we're like, what do you want to do? Let's throw hammers into the wall. Uh, yeah, so, which by the way, if you get one stuck in there, it's hard to get down. <laughs> so, true story. Um, but no, I, I really have, like, because it's been, it's been a, a definitely a difficult journey. And the great theologian, Walter Brueggemann, in talking about the Psalms, he says, the Psalms give language to recovery, and when we go through things, he has these three categories, a, a, a place of secure orientation. And when I think about the old building, I think about that. We could just walk in and turn the lights on. And we could plug in and we could play and we could do our things. Uh, it was very secure. For 10 years, we were in that building. For 10 years. By the way, we moved into that building on a month-to-month -month agreement. 10 years. And over 10 years, things become quite secure. But then there's this, as he calls it, this painful disorientation. I liken that to, hey, you have 60 days to move your congregation. That is a painful disorientation. And so uprooting our church family and moving us, that's a, that's a disorienting thing. But then he talks about, we always enter this surprising reorientation. Say that phrase with me, a surprising reorientation. This is a great cycle of life. Uh, when we go through shifts, we're oriented, we're disoriented, but then surprisingly enough, we are reoriented in a new place. And I, I think that for us, we've only been here four months, we're entering our fifth. I think for us, we're in between that painful disorientation and this surprising reorientation. It's been painful for several reasons. The first is somewhat funny. I, <laughs> I was trying to get some old pictures for this slide. Our name used to be Christian Church Buckhead. So when you Google Christian Church Buckhead, this is what you get. Permanently closed. <laughs> Isn't that sad? We're not closed. I mean, they just shut us down. Now, when we, uh, so that's the first thing you see. But I do want to point out that our church has actually moved a lot. We've been through this cycle of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation before. These are really terrible pictures uh, because I didn't take them. 
the gold club. Some of you may recognize that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I speak the truth in love. But, um, but this is where our church began. And the build-up to just get in that building was quite interesting. Um, lots of work went into that. And, but that's opening day in the new building. Everybody has a name tag on. Can you see that? So funny. I forgot about name tags. Um, but yeah, and there's old Jamie Vernon behind the keyboard. There he is. Yep. Uh, and some other people that I can't make out, but I could probably get up there and, and point them out. But yeah, but we were only there six months. It's like, our, it's like the biggest part of our history in the local world or in the local scene around here. Oh, you're the place that started in the thing. But we were only there six months. It was too expensive. It was a money pit. It was still kind of weird to drop your baby off into a place that's a room that used to be a thing. It was just, it was just weird. It doesn't matter how many Noah's Arks you put on that thing. It's still like, <laughs> so <laughs> it's true. And then we moved to the theater at Phipps, which those seats aren't there anymore. They're now lazy boys with, uh, can we just give a ride on to the projector that's propped up on the seat? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Is that you, Marla, back there? The, yeah. That's awesome. This is the theater days. Um, <laughs> you could tell some people just didn't want to take that picture. Like, I'm just visiting. So, uh, but the theater was a couple of years, you know, and, um, but it had its ups and downs. I hear stories of trailers coming on when Dan was preaching. Um, so that's pretty funny. But he said a curse word? Oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> That's page two for me. Hang on. I get, so. so there's that. And then, of course, we remember um, this building. There's Carter taking down the letters. Uh, we didn't realize that would be a mad fight for the letters, by the way. People were really wanting the letters. Um, we got the letter A. So um, what'd you get, Joel? Did you get a T? T. So very cool. And then here we are. Now, can you see the stark difference? I mean, there's like so many... Those places, all those locations are so different. And um, each location brings on a new shape uh, to the church. Something very funny, when we moved here, these are things you don't know about because we just refuse to tell you. But I'll tell you now because it's over. But um, for two months, we moved here in April. For two months, we were off the Internet. They, Google just shut us down. And one of the reasons was we changed our name, and there's another church by the same name. And then there were issues with our office address. It's not a real address. We, they just said, forget it. You're, you're pure spam is what they categorized this as. <laughs> and so a lot of you were like, we need to get an online presence in the thing, and we just would nod and smile, but we're like, we're completely in the black. Like, we're, we're on the, we're, it's dark. Um, so I did a little research. The Atlanta Christian Church that exists elsewhere is in Illinois. And here's the picture of the building. <laughs> I didn't know there was Atlanta, Illinois. I know now. So it's not a big town. Here's a picture of the street. And then <laughs> here's a picture of the city. <laughs> so I think that we should send them something. They're like our sister congregation up in... Uh... Are you with me? All right, I'll do something. We'll have a card or something. We'll send these guys. I checked their website. They're still open because um, you never know. But, man, just so, so amazing. But anyway. 
All right, let's get into this. I got some things I want to say. A couple things here. Every move we've made as a church has shook, church has shook the foundation. And every move has changed us. Because disorientation bends churches into new shapes. There may be some of you that have been here since that first picture. There may be some of you that have only been in this building and then everything in between. But every time a church is uprooted and disoriented, the journey to reorientation is a journey of being reshaped into something. And I don't think it's very easy. Um, I, don't think, I think it's actually very hard to make, to make it work, to make ends meet, to figure out how it's going to continue. Um, the Falcons games things has really thrown me for a loop, um, which I'll get into in a moment. But it just, everything changes. Which, uh, I want to just put this quote up here. Let's say this together. It takes a church to make a church. This is as preacher as I get. These little quotes here. Um, it takes a church to make a church. What does that mean? That means if we're going to survive, that's the lowest, common, lowest level, or if we're going to thrive, it takes a church to make that happen. It takes a church to make a church work. Are you with me on that? I mean, I can, I can do what I do, but it takes all of us, it takes a church to make a church Amen? That slide comes up several times, so keep those amens in your pocket. Because this is truth, y'all. This is so much truth that when we read the writings in the New Testament, when they're talking about the church, it's never like, where do you go to church? Who's the worship leader? Who's the speaker? What's the kids' program? It's never that. It's always, who are those people? Who are those people that make up the church? Because it takes a church to make a church. One of the things that threw us moving in was just the blackout dates in this building. I mean, this is a very used space all week and into the weekends. There's a wedding in here at 2 today, so get out when we're done. But, um, and don't worry, we'll let you know. But it's very, so sometimes there's just these days where we can't do it. And so we had to just get creative and say, let's, let's just do churches and homes. We can do that. We can pull it off. Who's going to open their home for a church? And you guys, well, I'll do it. I'll do it. That's what I'm talking about. It takes a church to make a church. I got some cool pictures from house church, by the way. Uh, this is my house church up in a conference room. Thank you, Janet and Kobe, for your office. Because, uh, so it's more of a, more of an office church. But uh, <laughs> here we are having breakfast. So that's ours, you know, conference tables. Uh, there's Mary running slides on the podium. Very good. Um, this one's cool. There's Jeff leading worship in a house in South Buckhead. Isn't that great? They're so cool with their couches and carpets. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we got that one, so, okay. <laughs> and then down there on the east side, who knew Spencer played guitar, but we know now, so where are you? I don't know where he went. Okay, yeah, you're busted. We got you. <laughs> Going to play some guitar. Isn't that beautiful, though? Guys, we can't have church here this weekend. Can you open your home? Absolutely. And you guys would do it. It takes a church to make a church. That's what that means. Just a small, amen, thank you. Just a small example. It doesn't take a building to make a church. It doesn't even take a program to make a church. It takes people. And the people is, is, are, I don't know what the right term is, people make up the most central 
uh, characteristic of the church. They are the heartbeat of the church. Not a building, not even a location, but the people. And in these next months, over the next year, in these days, in this transition from disorientation to a surprising reorientation, it's going to take us being the church to make this church not just work, I think it's working, but to thrive and to just see some really amazing things take place in our communities. It's going to take us as a people. It takes a church to make a church. It takes nothing else but that. And the church is a people. You know, one of the most important words for us is this word here. Um, say this with me, the word perish. Perish is this sort of double word. It not only means the church building, uh, often referred to as the parish church sometimes, but it's also just the neighborhood in which the church gives care. And one of the things that struck us when we moved was um, a large number of our people live between... The largest group lives between sort of North Midtown, South Buckhead, Buckhead. But then there are all these growing populations of our church down here on the east side as well. And so you see, uh, if you look at a map, our church actually, although it ended up being a farther trek to this place for people like me who still live uptown, um, it ended up becoming quite central for most of us. I'm not going to call names, but I've noticed that some of you are here every week, whereas in the old building, you weren't. And I think it's just because it's closer. You know? I don't want to fight the Linux traffic. I get it. I live there. But I'm noticing a, a, a higher consistency among many of you. And so the blessing of moving here was that even though for some of us, it became a little bit more of a trek. We got to leave earlier uh, than than we did before. Although our service is eleven, I don't know how how, how much more we need. But um, <laughs> it ended up being easier for most. Now the parking situation is definitely odd, uh, but it is what it is. I don't think it's actually harder than you have no idea the fights we have with Magianos. But um, <laughs> oh my gosh, what am I talking about? Oh, the parish. Um, we know that we can't put a lot of energy into what we do in this building to build up our church. This is a Sunday morning space. It's all we can do. There'll never be a Wednesday night program <laughs> in this place. Not that you could get here. There'll never be any of that. This is, this is where we gather. This is where we huddle. This is where all of our neighborhoods and people come together and we can worship and we can teach and we can fellowship and share communion together and be reminded of the reality that our church is bigger than any one of us, but it's all of us. So it's a nice space to do that. But the most important thing for us is this word right here, and it's offering, and it's offering systems of care where you live. Things like the small groups or the neighborhood dinners that we do throughout the year, times where you can get together with people who live near you who go here. Um, service projects in those neighborhoods tailored. That sounds like I'm trying to sell something, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's tailored for you. <laughs> Jesus is tailored for you. Um, <laughs> but 
just giving you opportunities to do church life close to where you live and with people who live near you. It's very important for us. Uh, these house church gatherings have taught us a lot about that. Um, and we'll continue to learn from that. And so you know, before I read a text and close, uh, we will move again. We don't own this place. We have a lease on this place until next December. Um, the Falcon season has thrown us a loop, so we may, <laughs> we may exit before the next Falcon season, but we will move again. We knew that coming in. How far and where, we don't know yet. We need your prayers for that. We need your input on that. We need your help with that. But for now, what's most important is the parish, is making sure that we're doing life together as best we can where we live and with the people who live around us. Does that make sense? I want to read this text. I just love, um, there's, you know, I love the, the text in the New Testament where it just talks about the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12 is such an extraordinary uh, text. And it starts with this verse here. There's a lot in between, but I want to put this up here for you. For just as one, for just as the body is one, he's talking actually about our body, and has many members, that's our arms, legs, and stuff, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So this is the setup for what Paul's going to say about the church family. So let me just read some, it's long, but let me just read through this and make some comments as we go. Verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, quote, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, end quote. I'm not going to do the end quote, start quote things the rest of the way. Okay. Uh, I don't know why I even committed to that. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, which is really funny, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, this is key, my friends, as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. This is such a powerful statement. I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on the unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. With our more presentable parts, which our more presentable parts do not require. It's just a nice way of saying a church is a messy place. You know, we try to hide our bad people, you know. But, I mean, we don't. I'm just saying, like, this is the feeling, you know. which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, there may be no, that there may be no division in the body, 
but that the members may have the same care for one another. And this is the key ending here. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Let's read that together. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Someone turned me on to Malcolm Gladwell's new podcast, The Revisionist History. Have you, have you heard of this? You need to get it. He does this, he does this talk called um, My Little Hundred Million. And it, it, it's a great podcast, but it struck me because I was looking over my notes uh, and then listening to that at the same time. I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I was saying. But he put language to it. The church is actually about the bottom, about the weakest member. And he, it's this whole podcast about where there are two kinds of societies. There are those who, go, who fund the strong links, uh, the strong links in the system, and those who fund the weak links. And the church is a weak link system. This is what Paul was saying. If one member suffers, you don't sub them out. Here, get on the bench. We've got a stronger player. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know why? Because it takes a church to make a church. Amen. That's what it takes. It takes us doing life together and supporting one another and recognizing that there's some things about our current situation that are weak. We wish they would be better. Um, I know Dave hijacked my sermon last week and talked about me, which was very uncomfortable. Um, I have yet to send him a check. But... Uh, <laughs> But the truth is, maybe some of you were asking, well, what can we do to help the staff? I think a couple of things. I, I, this sounds so cheesy, but because you feel like you should say this in a church, but if I knew that every one of you was actually praying for this church, that's a huge weight. Because sometimes we feel like, I wonder if we're the only ones doing that. But if we knew you were doing that, that, that lifts such a weight for us. I think also, we probably already know what's terrible. Oftentimes people think that we don't know. And usually when you come to us, it's okay, keep coming. That's just the way organizations work. But just prob say to yourself, they probably already know this, but the seats are terrible. I've never sat in these. I've been here five months. I've never sat in these, but I hear they're not great. So, uh, but we know. We know that the parking is weird. We know that it's harder for some people to get here. We know that we need a sign uh, we know that we're not on the internet. We are now. But we know, we know all these things. Um, so maybe it changes the way that you interact with us in the sense that maybe it's just, hey, I'm sure you already know this, but let me, let's, let me help you. Let me help you guys figure this out. And on and on and on. It takes a church to make a church. Let me close with um, a little bit about our calling as a church. And it has to do with this. We didn't make this up. This is just what the scriptures tell us the church is called to do. And it's just simply to help people find their way back to God. So if you're on a journey, if you're wandering, if you've run away from God, if you're trying to find your way back, that's what the church is for. That's what this church is for. That's what every church is for, is to help people find their way back to God. And we often say continually because all of us wander from time to time. 
We don't just find our way back and then that's it. We often wander and we need to find our way back all the time. And that's what the church does. It helps people find their way back to God. And uh, the central text for this is this, that God is making his appeal through us. Let me read the full text because it's my favorite ones. You've been around here 10 years. You know this about me. But Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's like the biggest amen in the Bible. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, that's it, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, amen, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. That somehow we live a life that lets people know God is making all things new and you are invited to come back to him. I want to close with, uh, I had to work on this for something last year, and I don't even remember what it was for, but I had to write our quick history as a church. It must have been for somebody. Um, it wasn't just for me. You know what I'd like to do since I don't have anything to do? I'd like to just write out our history. Um, but this, we, we had not moved yet, so what you'll hear in here is the, the term Christian Church Buckhead. Um, but let me read this because I think it does illustrate what our mission is. It starts with this quote from the New York Times, March 5th, 2004. In the building that housed the Gold Club where strippers provided free sex to pro athletes and federal prosecutors maintained, customers unwittingly ran up tabs of as much as $24,000 in one night and a river of receipts flowed to the Gambino crime family. Christian Church Buckhead has now found a home. <laughs> New York Times. And then, I got, and then here's the story. Our story actually begins in the mid-1990s. Not in Atlanta, but in Cincinnati, Ohio. While he was a graduate student at Cincinnati Christian University, Tim Stevens wrote into his thesis a rudimentary plan to put a church in his native city of Atlanta. It was good timing as Atlanta itself was simultaneously undergoing a residential renewal inside the perimeter. More and more people were transferring their lives back into the city. Churches, however, struggled to maintain touch with their people who had moved further out and away from town. So congregations closed, some changed hands, others simply drifted into a state of maintenance and survival. Several years later, in the spring of 2002, a team of investors, pastors, and church leaders, including Tim Stevens, uh, was formed to lay the groundwork of what would become Christian Church Buckhead. Many local churches from outside the city were taken up by the vision of planting CCB and gave support to the project in all sorts of helpful ways. Uh, I have more to say, but one church, Heritage Christian Church in Peachtree City, Fayetteville area, um, gave us something like $25,000 a year. And they did that even when I came on for several years. 
The team's first hire was Dan Garrett, CCB's first lead pastor in 2003. He and a growing team of staff set up shop in the offices of Northwood Hills Christian Church, a congregation just outside the community of Buckhead. It was in that building where the first meetings took place with the people who would help form the new congregation, a group known as the Prep Team. This team would effectively design the vision, the strategies, and the culture of CCB, playing a key role in the early days of the project. North Druid Hills Christian Church eventually closed its doors. I have, a, I have a picture of that church hanging above my desk. Giving CCB, gifting CCB with much of its remaining financial assets, which was close to a quarter of a million dollars. This provided an extraordinary blessing in the early days of this costly and risky dream. Many of its remaining members helped CCB get off the ground, and some of those wonderful saints are still part of our church today. If you were a member of our Uptown location, anyone over 75 was from that church. They came and they stayed, which was remarkable. In the fall of 2003, CCB was able to secure the then-closed Gold Club, a former strip bar in the southeast portion of Buckhead, as its first location. It had been sitting vacant for some time, so when word got around that a church had signed a lease on the old local haunt. Media ramped up. The nickname God's Club was tossed around in the news and print media. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's like the worst youth group program name. The front page of the Atlanta Journal read, From Poles to Pews. Is that not the greatest tagline of a church? From Poles to Pews. Dan Garrett was doing news spots with local outlets, explaining why and how this new church would make this place its home. And this is what I want you to hear. Away from all the hype, however, was a different story. Teams of volunteers worked day and night and through the night. I mean, there are stories of all night, all night jobs, renovating that place, to renovate the club so that CCB would be ready to launch after the turn of the year. And on Super Bowl Sunday, February 1, 2004, CCB took its first steps as a local church surrounded by hundreds of supporters, friends, and future members. Even several of the former dancers from the Gold Club attended those opening weeks. A redemptive and humbling experience for everyone who was in the know. Most churches design their mission statements with great care. Other times, the mission finds the church. CCB's mission was revealed in the very work of renovating and reconciling an old strip club to a church house. Work that was married to the conviction that God takes old broken things and makes them new. Amen? Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And finally, our beginnings shaped us putting us on a certain path of ministry. It gave us a vision for those who wander. It has been articulated in many ways through the years, but the mission of our church is clear. We exist to help people find their way back to God. In this, we are blessed to participate in what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation, God making his appeal through us, that intersection where the old becomes new, again and again and again. Amen? That's our, that's our calling. It's not unique to us. That's the calling of every church. But we just wanted to put that out there so that you know what you're a part of 
Because again, what is it? It takes a church to what? So we all carry that calling. I want to close with uh, introducing to you uh, the elders of our congregation because before they come up, um, these people were so important because if a church was only led by paid staff, um, it, w- it would die. Because we get blind, we don't know what it's like to live in the world you live in because we chose this one. And so it's just wise to have people from the other side sitting in on our meetings and going, I don't think that's a good idea. Or that wouldn't work for us normal people in whatever. So there's just that aspect. But there's this other incredibly beautiful aspect of just having people who are unpaid to carry the weight and the burden of making sure that a church, ours in particular today, remains healthy, that our church is a healthy place to be, that when you come into this room on Sundays, you're not just participating in a congregation that's got a staff member calling shots, but people just like yourselves sitting in meetings and praying about you, praying about this place, and ensuring that it's healthy. Isn't that great?